You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to his Easter sermon entitled, Seeing Him, Hearing Him, Believing in Him, Joining Him, recorded on March the 27th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Jesus died on a Friday night, or actually a Friday afternoon, sometime after 3 p.m. But we don't know exactly how long after 3 p.m., but it wasn't too long after 3 p.m. He gave up the ghost, but he, though he was dead, he didn't go anywhere. He continued to hang on a piece of wood. He just hung there. He had two other guys crucified with him. They were criminals. He was not a criminal, but he was crucified like a criminal. They continued to live because you can live being crucified for days at times. But he had already died by some time after three o'clock and he just hung there. If you're from our neck of the woods out here in western Pennsylvania, you might in the wintertime be driving by somebody's house and you will see a uh, of the carcass of a deer, skinned and hanging. It could be in their garage. It could be right out in front of it. And, and it has been, it has been uh, taken from the woods. It, it is now, be, this is how you harvest it. You skin it and there's, there's nothing wrong. That's how you get the meat. And the deer is just hanging there in front of their house or near their house. But you will, it would be a very odd thing indeed to see a man hanging on a piece of wood outside someone's house, but that was Jesus. He was hanging on a piece of wood, dead as dead could be. Some of the women who knew him and loved him, including his own mother, were near enough to see whatever bodily fluids had dripped down his cross through the hours he was there and were pooling at the bottom and to hear the flies buzzing around and to smell the smells and to see the horrifying scene. Now, the priests of the Jews, they had a whole nother concern. Their concern was the time of day. Their concern was that the sun was going down. This was a big deal for them because the next day was the Passover, a very important feast to them. And not only that, it was Saturday. And Saturday is the Sabbath for the Jews, and the Jews do not work on the Sabbath. And their day does not begin at sunup, it begins at sundown. When the sun goes down, the Sabbath has begun. And it would be, they thought, just a great, sacrilegious, blasphemous, dishonorable thing to have three dead criminals, or three criminals hanging on a cross when the sun went down. Now they did not know that Jesus was already dead, so they went and talked to the Romans and said, you have three dead men hanging, or three men hanging on crosses And the sun is going to go down very soon. We need them off those crosses. We need them dead. The Romans, that's not their problem. They don't care. So, So they're hanging there. It's the Sabbath. But the Romans don't want trouble with the Jews whom they rule. They just don't want an uprising. So they have a solution. What is it? They can break their legs. So What happens if you're hanging on a cross and you're not dead? Hopefully this never happens to you, but apparently what happens, you could hang for days before you die. Animals will come and eat your parts while you hang there. So what you can do is 
you can do a nice thing for someone hanging there. Take a sledgehammer and smash it into, their, into your shins. And that either the shock of the damage to your body may help do you in, but definitely the inability to keep yourself upright so you can breathe will do you in. So the Romans said, okay, let's break their legs. And they sent soldiers, they took the sledges, and they broke the legs of the two criminals. What a nasty moment. What a nasty sound to hear the people screaming, to hear the crunch of the bones. And there, but there when they saw Jesus, he was already dead. And this was to fulfill the prophecy of Scripture, which said, not a bone of him shall be broken. He had already said to his father at the right moment, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus had said when he walked along, when he was still alive, no one can take my life from me. I lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to keep it. He could not have died till he said he was going to die. And he chose the moment and said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So he was already dead. But he had been hanging there for a little while, dead. And one of the Roman soldiers thought, well, we're going to make sure he's dead. And he took a sword and he took the metal point and he shoved it into between his ribs, right into his innards. Going to make sure he's dead. And, and, and since he was dead, his, his skin had probably already begun to go cold and clammy as dead things do. And maybe it was a little even rubbery. So he had to push until it kind of broke. And then out came blood and water and dripped down to his feet. He was dead. Now when criminals are dead, they're not honored. The Jews aren't going to touch them. And the Romans aren't going to honor criminals that they've just hung to a cross. They just take the bodies and pile them into a hole. And let the flies and the bugs and the birds take them. And at this moment, a man named Joseph shows up. Joseph of Arimathea, who was part of the ruling body of the Jews. He was one of the most important people in the nation of Israel. Part of the Sanhedrin who ruled the Jews. He had watched as his own ruling party called for the death of Jesus. They had had a trial, a mock trial, really, because it was a kangaroo court. They took the only innocent man who had ever lived, Jesus Christ, and they, they put him in front of the high priest, and they all stood around, and they called in witnesses to accuse him of crimes. And they were all false witnesses that they were calling in and they came in and accused the only innocent man of things and he had done nothing at all and joseph was in the middle of all that but joseph secretly was a believer in jesus he had seen the miracles he had heard the teaching but for fear of the other guys he wouldn't come out and say he was for jesus but somehow he sat through that trial and he 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 realized what happened and after Jesus had died, he finally decided, I don't care what these people think, I'm going to take my stand. I cannot let that body just be thrown and de 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 deteriorate outside. You see, the Jews thought very much of a dead body. They, they had a, a, a scriptures that told them that all human beings were made in the very image of God. So even when they're dead, a human body has dignity and needs to be treated with dignity and to take that prophet, that godly man, and not treat his body well was an insult to Joseph. Joseph was a wealthy man. He had apparently bought himself a brand new tomb in a garden area. So if you die, you're 
Somebody's going to do something with what you left behind. Most of you are going to end up, if you're around here, in the ground in a nice country setting. Because that's all we got here is nice country setting. So that's what you get. But if you're really wealthy, you could go to really nice mausoleum or really nice... You could really get crazy in your death. And Joseph had a beautiful garden tomb. I mean, he had a garden. And, and he thought... I'm going to put him there. So he went to the Romans and said, listen, I want his body. And I have a feeling when Joseph shows up, that, remember the Romans run the place, but politics rules the day in every age. And here's a very important wealthy Jew who helps control the population for them. He says he wants the body. They say, okay, you can have the body. We don't care. And he brings along with him another guy named Nicodemus who's also a very important man among the Jews, who also was a secret believer, but apparently he chose, now is the time to make my stand. And they came to get the body of Jesus, which is a very brave stand by these men, because according to their law, their priestly law, one of the biggest days in their calendar was coming up. Passover, where the Lamb of God was sacrificed for the... So that death would not come to Israel. And a priest, if he touched a dead body, became ceremonially unclean. And he could not perform priestly duties unless he went through a long ritual, which took a lot of time. So they knew that by touching Jesus' dead body, they were disqualifying themselves. Two of the most important men in Jerusalem were disqualifying themselves for the priestly duty of the Passover, of the sacrificing of the lambs so that death would not come. But here is, though they did perhaps not realize it at the time, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He really was the only Passover lamb. So they were actually serving him, worshiping him as true priests, though they probably didn't get that at that moment. They were willing to take a stand. That happens. That happens. People will go through their life and they're just, they're just them. They do what they do. They have their own value system that runs their life. And then if you meet Jesus and he does something in here, all of a sudden, bam, you start taking stands that just don't seem to make sense. They go against your own value system. And so these two, now when they came, what time of day did they come? We don't know. But it had to be after three because Jesus died after three. And it had to be before the sun went down. So they were no doubt in a hurry. You can almost hear Joseph saying, Nick, that's Nicodemus, it's short for Nicodemus, <laughs> or Nicky, could have been Nicky, Nicky, we got to hurry, sun's going down, remember, they're good Jews, they're not going to work when the sun goes down, they've got to get this done, so they grab the body of Jesus, they wrap it quickly uh, with some spices so it doesn't smell, because dead, dead bodies smell, and no doubt that was going to happen real soon, and they took him, and they put him in the garden tomb, and they rolled a rock in front of it. They had no idea they were fulfilling the prophecy. said 700 years before in Isaiah, which said this. The prophet said this. Seven centuries before they fulfilled this. And they made his grave with the wicked. Jesus died among criminals. And with a rich man in his death. So the prophet had foretold this. That although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Jesus would die with criminals but he'd be buried with the rich. And so that, that scripture was fulfilled. And so Jesus laid in that tomb with a very big stone rolled in front of it. 
So the sun went down. The sun came up again, and it was Saturday. And he was still in there. And he was still dead. And whatever happens to dead bodies 24 hours after dying was happening to him. And then the sun went down. And then the sun came up. And we have Easter. Now, the women who were closest to Jesus were very concerned about something very practical. We appreciate what Joseph did. We appreciate what Nicodemus did. First problem, they're men. (laughs) They're not necessarily careful enough. Second, they were in a hurry. His body needs proper love. So as a last act of kindness to the one they love so much, they prepared spices in the tradition of how they handled dead bodies, and they were going to go out to the tomb at the break of day. All they needed was someone to move the rock away. They didn't know who. They'd worry about that when they got there. And they were going to care for the body of Jesus. We're going to break into the story right there, and we want to look at the first woman to show up. And we're going to see that from John chapter 20, verse 1 to 21. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. If you do not have a Bible, but you would like to read this story in a Bible, on your way out today, stop at any welcome desk (laughs) that you find. There'll be one right on your right. (laughs) And say, can I have a Bible to read for myself? We will give you one for free, and you can go home and read this. But for now, John chapter 20. Starting in verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Sunday is the first day of the week for them. For us, Monday is the first day of the week, Sunday is the last. But for the Jew, Sunday is the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Graves normally stay closed, and this is a good thing. If you were to go to the graveyard... And you saw all the graves opened up and perhaps all the coffins in the graves opened up. That's not good. We close the door and bury them for a very good reason. And likewise, this tomb. Especially they did not have modern embalming methods. You definitely wanted tombs to stay closed until your dead loved one completely rotted away and was nothing but bones. Then you may go in, open it up, gather up the bones, and put them in one place so that when your next dead loved one comes, he has a bed to sleep in. That's how they would do it. But this tomb was open. Mary, no doubt, was both relieved Because she needed someone to move it. The ladies were coming. They needed to wrap the body. But she was also alarmed. There's no one in there. It's empty in there. Where is he? So she panicked. And she ran. Verse 2. And went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, is John, the gospel writer, the author of these words. He is a first person eyewitness to the event. We're reading what he said. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. It was a literary device. I guess he wasn't into just saying, hi, I'm John. But look what he chose to describe himself. He didn't say, John, brother of James, one of the big three who hung out with Peter a lot, and we were pretty important, probably more important than the other nine dudes, definitely more important than Judas. (laughs) What a loser he turned out to be. I'm John. I get to write this. 
He didn't say any of that. He, called, he defined himself by being a human loved by God. We should not move too quickly over that. The mechanics of how Jesus saved us are very important. Jesus, the only innocent one, died for us sinners. God sent his only son, who was without sin, so that he could pay the price for our sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. God treated his son as a criminal, so he could treat criminals like you and me as his children. But notice how John defines himself as loved. It can be hard to feel loved by God. I pray today, as you hear the words of the Bible, you would feel that love by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same love that John felt. So you would start saying of yourself, I am the one who Jesus loves. So he calls himself the one that Jesus loved. Now she ran to get the men. These guys had been Jesus' closest dudes. And, and, And they were kind of Big shots. She went to the biggest of the big shots. Peter and John were the biggest of the big shots of the 12. And she's like, handle this. Women do that to men. If you don't believe it, get married. Because women often see what needs to be done. And men are just changing the channels and stuff. So women come to us and say, handle this. And men, young men especially, but if you're old and haven't figured this out, just handle it. So she goes and says, somebody stole the body. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. The other, that would be John, outran Peter. Apparently, John was in a little better shape than Peter. (laughs) He gets there first. He's like, ha ha, I beat you, and I get to write the Bible. So, (laughs) putting that in there, I beat him. And he stooped to look in. And he saw the linen claws lying there, but he didn't go in. He saw the claws that were on the body, but no body. How does that happen? Who, if you're going to steal a body, why would you take the cloths off the body first? Then you've got to touch that yucky skin. Unless an animal did it. Maybe an animal dragged him out. And the claws were just lying there. Well, then Simon Peter came following him. <laughs> he gets there. Now, notice he's got courage, though, that apparently John the Fast didn't have. He went right into that tomb. And he saw... I mean, you might say, why wouldn't John go in? He's probably afraid. There could be ghosts. I mean, who knows what's in there? Bones. Peter goes right in. And he saw the linen claws lying there. He looked, he saw the messy claws. But he saw the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen claws, but folded up in a place by itself. So the claws apparently were not folded. They look like your sheets after the end of a long night. Why, how do you do that with your sheets? The bed is made when you go to bed. You wake up, your sheets are on and not look like you're in a wrestling match. What are you doing when you sleep? Some of you know what I mean. Got the claws all there. An animal, maybe. But animals don't take the face cloth and fold it. 
That's a human being. A human being had to do this. That, that, that had to do this. You'd think. Then the other disciple, who did I mention had reached the tomb first? <laughs> he puts that in the Bible twice, John does. He also went in and he saw and believed. We don't know what he believed. He believed the body wasn't there. He believed it was folded up. Because it says here, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John and Peter, looking at this, realized that what Mary had said was true. The body was gone. But they didn't realize that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They didn't realize that Isaiah 53 said, he will have his place with the living. He didn't realize. They didn't realize. So they just thought somebody stole him. You know what they didn't realize? is what the Hebrews writer says, that Jesus raised from the dead with the power of an indestructible life. Jesus had a life that could not be killed. He did give up his spirit. He let his, remember, he's divine. He's God forever. He, has a, he cannot die. So when he takes his human body and subjects it to death, he has given a poison pill to death itself. I saw this movie. I can't tell you which one it is. This is a huge spoiler. But at the end of the movie, this huge alien, huge alien, as big as, as, as a small town, is floating in the sky. And this heroine, the lady, she, has a, she takes a, like a Molotov cocktail that she puts together really fast with this alcohol in a bottle and puts paper in it and she sets it on fire and she's about to get sucked into this thing and she sees this little hole that's about to eat her up and she throws it in there and it causes some chain reaction the the, the thing just swallows it and this this alien that's as big as a house just goes boom blows up or some of you old timers back in 1976 i think it was remember luke skywalker (laughs) he flew that into the Death Star, right? This huge Death Star that can blow up a planet. He shoots one shot into this one hole and boom, the whole thing blows up. My friends, when the grave swallowed Jesus, the same thing happened. Death was put to death by the indestructible life of Jesus. That resurrection It's not just about Jesus. It is about humanity. This is why Jesus has an unquenchable life today. The Romans and the Jews of the day said, we will stop this man. They have not stopped him. They will not stop him. He will have followers until he returns, for he has destroyed death. So how (laughs) grave clothes and a stone... To the maker of the universe, no problem. But your flesh is already dead. It's starting to rot away. No problem. But they didn't know that. They're like, what's going on here? Disciples are scratching their head. You know, when my, whenever I lost something as a kid, I would tell my mom, because moms are supposed to find everything you lose. That's their job. And my mom would say to me, Mom, I can't find my shoes. My mom would say to me, well, they just didn't get up and walk away. All you moms, like, go to a school. They have the same phrases. 
I'm thinking, well, their shoes, they could have. These guys are thinking, no question, dead bodies don't just get up and walk away. Then the disciples went back to their homes. What else could we do? There's no explanation. We're men. We need to go think. We're going to strategize, but safely, so the Romans don't kill us. But we're going to think. Hmm, what happened to that body? But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And she wept, and she looked. She, she stood weeping outside the tomb. I'm too busy being sad to go home and strategize with you men. She knew she was loved by God too. Mary Magdalene, of whom the scripture said, had seven demons. What a nightmare, emotionally and mentally, her life had been. How unimportant was she to the whole planet? Some know what it is to suffer great mentally and emotionally. They would tell you physical pain would be preferred. And she had seven demons. Her reputation was not good. But when Jesus saw her, he did not think less of her. He gave her his full attention. He freed her from all the demons. And she joined his band of followers. And he loved her. And now not only was he dead, that's hard enough to take, but now somebody's taken his body. You guys go back to the house and talk and worry about whether the Jews are going to come kill you. I'm just going to stand here and cry. She wept. But she looked into the tomb herself, and it wasn't empty anymore. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body had lain, body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. Now, angels, by the way, these are not your, your touched by an angel type angels. The Bible doesn't have like Roma Downey on her best day with wings and glowing and all that, you know, gold rings and all that stuff. In the Bible, when angels show up on earth, they normally look like NFL tight ends. They're 6'5", 250, strong dudes. Something like that. They're just guys. So she sees these two huge guys. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where. Why do you think I'm crying? Having said this, she obviously has not yet picked up that they're angels. She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. You see, Jesus, when he broke out of the grave... And he raised up that dead body through the power of his indestructible life. He transformed it into a perfectly healthy, glorified body that could not get sick, could not die, could not be depressed, could not be anxious, was not subject to to weariness or any of the problems. Mosquitoes couldn't hurt it. The last time she saw him, he was a mess. He was weak. He was out of blood. He was dehydrated. He He was dead. How could she recognize him? And I like this part. <laughs> he says, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And I like this, supposing him to be a gardener. I, li- I like that on a number of levels. One, I have a lot of Mexican relatives by blood. A lot of them in California and in Mexico. And uh, it's not unusual to see a gardener with Jesus written on there to me. I mean, that, that works. <laughs> 
But on a more serious level, she's in a rich guy's tomb area. Not her, not, this is not where her family would be buried. I don't know how these people work this. Somebody has to keep this garden, and that's probably who took the body. So she thinks she's looking at the grave robber. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I'll take the responsibility of his body. I'm relieving you of your duty. Give him to me. Jesus said to her, Mary. He said her name. Which she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And, and Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So what's happening here is Jesus is laying some heavy truth on this woman. But we don't get all the details, but she went from saying Rabboni to clinging to him. I don't think that's hard to figure out. And she probably didn't say Rabboni. She went, wow, you're alive. I can't explain this. You've blown my mind. And she hugged him, which is the right reaction. No doubt she hugged him and cried all over him and hugged him some more. He might have been laughing lovingly when he said, woman, back off. But I I don't think, I know he was not referring to, please don't hug me. I don't think he minded that at all. He was giving her bigger theological truths that would be spelled out in the whole New Testament. He was talking about his ascension. Remember, Jesus is God forever. He came down from heaven and took on a body. The rest of us do not do that. The rest of us start inside a woman's body. The precious, hallowed place of a woman's womb. The most important place in the world for the whole human race begins there. That's where we start. And Jesus had a start in his humanity but in his divinity he has always been alive so when he says i ascend back to my father he's like i came down from heaven i'm going back and he talks to her in family terms go tell my brothers go tell my brothers tell my he doesn't go tell the apostles go tell my workers go tell my servants he says go tell my brothers that my father god is now your father god there's so much in that that they would figure out and unpack for us by the Holy Spirit. But here's what we can know. The adoption is complete. Colossians 1 says, Jesus is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the first one to beat death and physically have the, the, the unconquerable, overwhelming power of his spirit take a body and make it glorified. But he's not going to be the last. Everyone who believes in him, who has their sins forgiven by faith in what he did for him on the cross, he will raise them too. He's the firstborn, but he has many brothers and many sisters. So Mary did as she was said, as she was told. She ran to his brothers. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that day, it, it, it happened later. This is like the morning. On the evening, Jesus shows up. So all day long, they're like, Mary's a little nuts. She was very sad about this thing. She took it harder than the rest of us, I think. She thinks she saw him. She had to go through that all day. And then on the evening of that day, 
the first day of the week, the doors being locked, <laughs> where they're locked doors where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. He's good with locked doors. He just shows up. Peace be with you. I think they all passed out, although that's not in the scripture, then woke up again. When he has said this, he showed them his hands aside, and here's the biggest understatement I think you can have in the scripture. And the disciples were glad. I think they were glad when they saw the Lord. I think their joy overflowed. Because Jesus said just four days before, at that event we call the Last Supper, he had told them that this was going to happen, that he was going to die and he was going to raise, but it went right over their heads. And he had said this in John 16, he said, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. I'm going to be dead, and the Jewish leaders are going to say, good, we got rid of this guy. He's not the Messiah. The Romans are like, yes, the troublemaker's gone. But you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. How does sorrow turn to joy? It takes a while to get out of sorrow, doesn't it? When a woman is giving birth, that's how. She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And boy, is that ever true. Women having babies aren't happy. <laughs> Don't believe it? Go stand near one just before it happens. But as soon as the baby's in their arms... The sorrow's gone, the joy has come. Now, he's given a physical picture of a spiritual reality. The sorrow of God, the tears of God at the death of his son. Darked out the sun for a few hours the day he died. But the Bible says Jesus endured the shame of the cross for the joy that laid behind it. And when he raised from the dead, life from the dead, as, a, as pain in a woman's childbirth gives physical life, so does the grave give forth spiritual life to all and the joy that comes. And that it is an indestructible life. And that's why he says, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one can take that joy away from you. Why? Because never, you never have to mourn for him dying again. It's never going to happen again. And you'll never be apart from him. He has a new and improved body, and you will too. My friends, this is the Easter story. The final verse here is Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'd like to point out two things from this text, and then we'll be finished. One to the Christians in the room especially. That's this. Jesus multiplied himself by dying and raising again. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, he was the only one like him. He was unique. He, was, he, he had no sin, and he was perfectly obedient to the Spirit and the full power and the fullness of the grace and the Spirit of God could work in him. And he could walk around saying, the kingdom is here. And he could raise the dead and heal the sick, and he could preach the words of his mouth brought faith and life to people. He walked on water, he did fish and bread things. He was amazing. And when his enemies killed him, they thought, there was only one of him, Boom. We're done with that. What they didn't realize is when he raised from the dead, he multiplied himself. Not just his 12, 120 were in that room at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell down. And at least 500 believers he had already appeared to. 
And all of a sudden, you had hundreds of people who had the Holy Spirit in them, who had been forgiven their sins, who had the power of the Holy Spirit, could declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people would get saved. Truly, truly, I say to you, John 12, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus' plan was always to die. So that he can raise and raise more. If you were to plant a sunflower seed, you will get a sunflower or two or three or four or five. All on one stalk. Ten. And they will produce thousands of sunflower seeds. And if you plant them, you will get hundreds of thousands of sunflowers. And if you plant them, you'll get millions. How disappointed would you be if you planted a sunflower seed and up grew a sunflower seed. Like, I could have just kept this. This is the picture that Jesus gives us of himself dying. Unless a grain of wheat fall to the earth and die, it remains alone. I'm the only guy doing this, but I'm changing that. I'm sending you out. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Christian, you're his little sunflower seed. As God sent him from heaven to go to this world, he sends you. And you say, well, I, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> you don't have to do everything Jesus did, but you have to do this that Jesus did. In Mark 1, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news. The good news, God loves you, is the good news. Everything else comes after that. Start with God loves you and go to the cross. That's the proof. Go to the forgiveness of sins. Don't just give the mechanics. The mechanics are true, real, and glorious. Jesus paid. He took the wrath of God so you don't have to. That's mechanically true. And give it. Oh, but don't leave out the good news. And God loves you. He loves you. He adores you. Tell the world that. Saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And there is salvation. My friends, we are the multiplied ones. We are this generation's set of sunflower seeds. Let's get out there. But the second thing I want to point out, and this is especially to those who have yet to give their lives to Christ, Jesus is still calling his followers by name like he did Mary. Mary did not know the risen Savior even when she looked right at him. But he said her name, and she did. Can I tell you something? That's how people become Christians. Ever since. That's a physical picture of how spiritually everyone becomes a Christian. You don't know the risen Savior. He calls you by name. The good news is, is every time someone comes to know Jesus, it is not through an institutional system. It is not a group call. All you people who want to sign this sign-up sheet if you want to be involved in the field trip to Jesus. No. It's not like that. All the, the God who made all things turns all His individual attention on you. And He says your name and you hear Him. Invisibly, in the Spirit, you hear Him. Look at how Jesus describes himself in John 10 when he says he's the shepherd. He says, the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
He's talking about himself. The sheep hear his voice. He calls, look at this, his own sheep by name, individually. We are called into community, but we are called as individuals. A father with many children should know all their names. And he leads them out. The sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. When the one who has an indestructible life grabs you, no one can take you away from the life of God. Nothing can separate you. But notice how this metaphor works. It is a shepherd going into a pen that has all kinds of people's sheep. He knows his. He calls you. You calls their name and they follow him out. All right, he is, the shepherd is the savior. The pen is the whole world and all the people in it. And he's calling you by name and saying, come out and join me. And my burden's light. I'll forgive all your sins. I paid for them. And I'll give you eternal life physically and spiritually. Just come out, follow me. Let me ask you a question. Like Mary, have you been looking right at Jesus and not believing in him? Easter after Easter, if you're an Easter church Christian only, have you been looking right at Jesus and not seeing him? Not realizing he's your savior? Question, do you hear him calling your name right now? Not my voice. Some of you may, you're hearing him. You're thinking, Mike, it's you, isn't it? It has nothing to do with me. The Holy Spirit of the living God, God has turned his attention towards you personally because he loves you. And he's calling your name. Do you hear him? If so, why not today answer him? The kingdom of God is very near. Jesus is coming back. Repent of your sin. Turn away. It's not helping you anyway. Give it all up and believe that he loves you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.